I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence, and you're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Joe Higginson, newly appointed Chief Commercial Officer for Identity, previously Head of Payments for Investec Bank UK. Does this make you a gamekeeper turned poacher or a poacher turned gamekeeper? A little bit of both, Robin. I would describe myself as a person who likes solving product problems in the marketplace. So why I was at Investec was to help redesign a payments platform and bring it to, I suppose, the internal customer, which was all the different divisions within the bank. And as I've joined Identity, it's it's solving really the same problem. Where I see gaps in the marketplace and where I see whether I've been a customer looking for a product in the market or whether I'm in the market selling a product that I don't think customers either have or don't even know their need, I like solving very discrete niche problems in the payment landscape. So I'm a little bit of both is the answer to that question, where banks like talking to me about what's in my brain and I like designing what banks need. All right, let's talk about what they need and what's actually changed. You talked about gaps in the, the marketplace there. What is happening in the global payments landscape at the moment? It is changing very, very rapidly. It is changing rapidly. And I've been in this line of work now for over over 15 years. And my career grew up in a a, what you call a money service business world. I was previously part of a company called TravelX Global Business Payments, which had inherited a payment company in the form of Thomas Cook Financial Services. So If you look right back 20-odd years, the first entry point into a non-bank marketplace was the likes of Thomas Cook and TravelX, who decided to be able to provide small to medium businesses with cross-border payments. However, they weren't a bank, and the whole infrastructure prior to that was SWIFT-based, right? Then you start to see this this is the beginning of the fragmentation from a customer's lens. We have a world where there's alternate ways to send money from A to B. Fast forward 21 years, now we have a market that is fragmenting more and more. We have banks that do want to continue to use SWIFT, but also need to be aware that their customers have alternate payment methods. Now, whether that be getting money from A to B using a PayPal or a Ripple, it's also entering into the world of digital currencies, i.e. how do you move money in a brand new fiat currency or a brand new cryptocurrency? And what I see this causing is... A lot of opportunity, but a lot of fragmentation. And where that fragmentation is, in my mind, is the messaging. And I always look at it in terms of there being 195 countries in the world uh, who have uh, 180 currencies, and no one's ever going to agree on exactly the same standard. So what information is needed here is unknown to the sender over here. So that fragmentation gives the rise to there being solutions needed that are local, but also global. What about how the regulatory framework is changing? Customer demand is changing, but the regulatory framework is changing as well. I've seen it in multiple jurisdictions now. I mean, currently I work for a largely based Australian company, but the lens of that company identity is is global anyway, if we think about regulatory reporting. So going through the I suppose the different parts of legislation to try and tackle financial crime. We've got fraud elements, which are very much how consumers can lose money or how businesses can lose money by being fished or scammed, right through to people deliberately using these rails, these networks of payment capability to move money around. And the regulator is, 
you know, trying to solve these in, in two different ways, locally around a fraud scale, but globally around a financial crime scale. And the regulator has, up until recently, probably only really had one tool, which is a hammer, right? Because everything's a nail. And Well, if you've uh, got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. So we have this world where financial data is incomplete, i.e. the payment, the whole transaction, not just the payment. So the transaction starts with a customer on one end and finishes with somebody receiving that money on the other end for whatever reason. And that complete transaction is usually missing all the ingredients that a regulator needs. And therefore, making sure that banks, who are usually the primary undertakers of putting money onto a ledger or an account, have had to adhere to the, the regulation. But I've seen a slight change in the UK recently as an example where Yes, you still need to have an awareness of all of your cross-border transactional information, but you should also have a, an eye on the operational resilience of your platform, i.e., are you looking after your customer in the right way and are you making sure that you're not punishing them by this overburden of compliance? So I see the regulator acknowledging, regulators all around the world acknowledging that we are in a digital world now. We are in a world where banks are migrating their platforms to cloud. So the data is more enriched and more accessible. It's just probably still years behind where the regulator wants to be able to see every transaction at every place at every time because there becomes that whole big brother mentality as well as, oh, well, I don't want all of my data seen. Well, to be perfectly honest, I, I look at it through the lens of if you've got nothing to hide, then it's better for all of us if we do expose this information to the regulator in the right way so that they can make sure that there is a line of sight to where illicit funds are being moved, et cetera. So I think the regulators are working a lot better with all financial institutions, not just banks, because I've seen the growth of open banking in the UK landscape where it almost pushes non-banks to be able to participate more in this transactional ecosystem for competition reasons, but it's also an acknowledgement that maybe they'll get to market faster with the right technology and maybe it just pushes everybody a bit further faster to be able to get up to speed with what the regulator actually wants to see. Well, you talked about us moving into it. Everybody's accepted we're moving into a digital world, but that move is not a one and done, is no, it? No, not at all. It's. I think it's been accelerated by this, this global pandemic we're in, right? Even five years ago, I used to be on the other side of the ledger where I would talk to customers about APIs and connecting to digital platforms and they'll be like, no, we want to keep all of the data in our core banking system, which sits on level 32 of a mainframe, mainframe 17. And you go, that's fine. But even five years later, uh, the conversations I have with CTOs are about, no, actually we're going full cloud. It might be private or it might be fully native. They are moving to these concepts a lot faster because they've got comfortable with smaller applications that they've deployed. Also, the realisation that you can put in the right infrastructure and infosecurity in place, even in a cloud-based environment, that you are offsetting a lot of your costs that you have to carry on a premise, right? So there's a cost driver and an efficiency driver as well. It's also easier on a, in a cloud-based system to keep up to date, to keep up with upgrades. Yes, I, I'm a firm believer in the, the software as a service or payments as a service or regulatory burden as a service. Why? Because if, back to what I was saying before, the, the niche operators that are developing really powerful solutions have an obligation to maintain that 
application for all of their customers. And naturally, there's a collaboration that starts because as a customer, you're feeding in these requirements that you now have. And if they're building it once in one place and it's available to all, we start to get this network effect of technology, right? Whereas if you build something on a premise and then you iterate it and iterate it, it becomes very bespoken to your business. Whereas if you do that with a network effect, i.e. the, the SaaS solutions that are in our world, the advancements that you get through product iteration, you know, they're, they're sort of exponential. And therefore, if it's not really increasing your cost too much, you get the net benefit of subject matter experts working on your problems is the way I look at it. So looking ahead, everybody's signed up for the digital future. Does that mean legacy challenges have gone away? No, no. Well, some applications, if we call them legacy, will not be able to migrate to a fully cloud service or a, or a fully digital service. It's not practical. You're better off rebuilding it. There is probably nothing that needs to stay on a mainframe inside a bank anymore. But the adoption will be limited by how quickly really old systems can migrate to new platforms, replatforming. I think you may be talking a load of old kobolds. <laughs> Touche. Joe Higginson, Chief Commercial Officer of Identity, thank you very much.